0: Hello, welcome to Muriel's Murders. I'm Muriel, and I love true crime.
1: I'm Nick, and I am not a fan.
0: Thank you for joining us. Each week, I force Nick to listen to me tell him a story of a true crime. This week, we are going to New South Wales in Australia to talk about freaky scientists radical 1960s intellectuals and the mysterious deaths of Dr. Gilbert Bogle and Margaret Chandler. So (sighs) this week I read Mm -hmm. the most incredible book by Peter Butt, called Dr. Bogle and Mrs. Chandler, The Confession. This is an updated version of a previously released book. It's a quick read, only about 200 pages. Mm-hmm. It's totally fantastic. Can't recommend it enough.
1: Weren't you kind of saying it's hard to find also? Like you I were able to dig it, to it find, up? was hard for me to find,
0: but I honestly have a very small brain. So <laughs> sometimes I'm like, this is impossible. And then I realize I'm sp- like spelling confession wrong. You know?
1: So. OK, so it's, it's, it's out in circulation. It's in the world. <laughs> But what were you, you were bragging about something. Oh, there's not very many American podcasts that covered this story.
0: No, as far Uh as I could tell, there's a a few Australian podcasts that look Mm -hmm. great that have covered it. Yeah. And I think it's a huge New South Wales story. It's just this epic unsolved mystery for a long time. And it was like a, you know, this crime of the century, but I had never heard of it and I have never heard a podcast cover it in the States. So I'm super excited to tell you about it. Okay? I love
1: it, man. We're bringing something fresh to a new set of ears. You know, just doing doing the good work out here. Oh my goodness. <laughs> <Okay. Nicholas. laughs> It's 2022, okay? And our love for our listeners just keeps growing. Thank you to Chris, Amy, and Sarah for signing up for our Patreon. Our sixth Patreon-exclusive episode is dropping later this week. And for five bucks a month, you can unlock those episodes, plus our four vintage Muriel's Murders we recorded as an experiment back in 2020. And you directly support our ability to put out this podcast. We're also going to shout out our newest five-star reviews in our outro, so stick around for that.
0: All right. Okay, everybody, this is a true story involving murder, violence, drugs, adult themes, etc. So if any of you listeners are like Nick and you don't want to hear about those kind of things, please consider listening to a different
1: podcast. Plus, we'll probably do a little cursing and joking. So if you're sensitive to that, please tune us out.
0: All right, Nikki, are you ready to hear this story? No. Okay, let's get started.
1: Bright and beautiful sunny morning. I'm in a great mood. Let's see if you ruin it.
0: Oh, Nick.
1: <laughs> Hit me with your best shot. I'm all, right, all ears. Here we go.
0: Mm-hmm. So, this story takes place in the Australian state of New South Wales, just outside of the coastal city of Sydney, which is the capital of New South Wales and the most populated city in the country.
1: Yeah, they have a fancy building. I, I know about Sydney kind of. Okay,
0: great. Well, yeah. I'm just, you know, making sure cuz sometimes yeah, the I don't Olympics know what you know and point, what you don't know. You know. Okay. Yeah. All right. So, Margaret Olive Morfitt was born in 1934 in Wentworthville, New South Wales, just a 45-minute drive from where she would eventually be found dead oh, no. on the bank of the Lane Cove River at the age of 29.
1: Ooh, young.
0: At the time, Australia And the rest of the world was Mm -hmm. at the tail end of the Great Depression. That sparked a ton of political change all over the world. In Sydney, in particular, there was a hotbed for political change and civil unrest. Uh In 1934, when Margaret was born, the more left-leaning faction of the ruling Labour Party in Australia was expelled from the party. So the most left-leaning people splintered off and formed the new South Wales Labor Party. Uh-huh. So things in New South Wales were really radical at the time, right?
1: God, I'm so dumb. I only think of the Great Depression as being an American thing.
0: Yeah, it's a global thing. <laughs> yeah, I'm just like, yeah,
1: you know, when America had it rough, I didn't even That's how That's how small my education is.
0: Well, that's like why I sometimes explain it because right. yeah. that's how small my education is yeah. sometimes so i'll be saying some dumb stuff if i don't i'll go oh, i'm gonna double check that i'm gonna be real right now too yeah. to be totally totally real uh-huh. i definitely had to google what is new south Wales <laughs> because i yeah. didn't know if it was like a a state uh-huh. or like a region you know I
1: wouldn't even know it was australia If you said, oh, where's New South Wales? I'd think, I don't know. Wales? (laughs)
0: Wales? (laughs) Yeah. Where's
1: (laughs) Wales? I don't know. The ocean? (laughs) You know? Those animals that give me nightmares.
0: That's why I'm just like, here's a recap. I'm just going to say probably most people know that. Definitely our Australian listeners know, but I'm American. I went to public school, man. Yeah. Okay, we're going
1: to keep going. Also, tons (laughs) of Americans don't know that, I don't know, Wisconsin is a state or something. Like, maybe people in Australia are like, yeah, I don't know that either.
0: Yeah. Okay, great. So, (laughs) I don't think so. Okay. Okay. So, anyway, when Margaret was born, right, things were getting kind of freaky in New South Wales. But Mm -hmm. Margaret was born into a more sedate, traditional world her parents were financially stable during the depression her dad was a textile executive they lived out in the suburbs mm-hmm. and margaret was educated at presbyterian ladies college and then she went on to train as a nurse so she was well educated grew up in a in a softer environment right then
1: right she was kind of unscathed by the poverty around her
0: yeah or i don't know how it played out in New South Wales if it was the same as the Great Depression in the U.S., but I think Uh she was a lady. Okay, all right. (laughs) But some of that freaky New South Wales... Vibe definitely seeped in somehow, <laughs> what right?
1: Do you mean by freaky? You keep saying freaky. <laughs> You're just like, oh, it's a labor movement. You're like, it was really freaky. What well, are you talking there's about?
0: There's a lot of. Uh, we'll get into some of what uh-huh. was happening, but it was just a cool moment in history, right? Uh-huh. So think more bohemian, beatnik um, emergence New of ideas. this early thing, uh-huh. yeah, All in right. a pretty conservative area. Okay, you know, and you th- Sydney University is. At the center, epicenter of all of this stuff. So yeah. there's just like a lot of stuff bubbling up, right? Well,
1: people use the word "freaky" in so many different ways. You can be like a scary thing, you know, like a ghoul, or maybe someone twerking because they're getting freak nasty. And you're so nerdy, I have no idea which well, angle I mean, you're to. Well, I'm it in lots of
0: ways, but I like that word, so I'll keep using it. <laughs> okay. I don't need your judgment. <laughs> So like I said, Uh the freaky New South Wales vibe definitely seeped in somehow. And Margaret ended up being kind of a wild child, especially for the time. So she went out and with her friend they bought a surfing board like a surfboard in the early 50s and they would hitchhike around new south wales well basically around the sydney area uh-huh. bumming around the beaches and hanging out with dudes they were
1: getting freaky with it yeah right know.
0: so they're rejecting the more conservative crowd and uh-huh. opting for like the dirty hippies right <laughs> okay cool so margaret met a man named jeffrey chandler at a diner when she was 22 Jeffrey was a sexy, tall, gangly, redheaded scientist <laughs> who worked
1: Wait, at- was he sexy? You said that.
0: Well, they say he's sexy, but I don't think- His picture looks more, <laughs> like super derpy, but I, I think he was sexy for the
1: time. Okay. <laughs> anyway, sexy, And she liked him.
0: Right. Sexy, tall, gangly, redheaded scientist who worked at the prestigious CSIRO. I'm not exactly sure if they say Cicero, uh-huh. but I think- It's the Commonwealth Scientific and Industrial Research Organization. So Mm -hmm. it's a big scientific organization that's world-renowned. It does tons Uh of research. Okay,
1: cool. He works for them.
0: Yeah. Also, in addition to being this rad-ass scientist, he fixed up vintage cars as
1: a hobby, right? Oh, he's one of these guys.
0: And he was a member of the Communist Party of Australia. And he was a member of what was called the Push Movement in Uh Sydney. So the Sydney push was an anti-authoritarianism left-wing libertarian collective centered around this bar in the Royal George Hotel in Sydney. So Centered
1: around a bar?
0: It was it had a huge drinking culture. So it was basically these bearded bohemian uh-huh. people hanging around, men and women drinking and talking about activism and philosophy in pubs. Right? right,
1: so he's doing that, he's building vintage cars, then he's like under a microscope doing so- What kind of science was he He was to? doing
0: something in electronics. A uh-huh. lot of this is too complicated for me to understand, and I uh-huh. looked at two different sources and they both said something that to me seemed really different, but mm-hmm. he worked there and he was good. <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. <laughs> okay. Great. Yes. And this movement, the push movement, included mm-hmm. all kinds of people, although a large number of them were students and faculty from Sydney University and then later from the University of New South Wales. So the, there was a lot of academic debate yeah, know, things right. going on like totally that, right? people
1: just screaming while they're sipping absinthe or something
0: right yeah. <laughs> so Margaret was totally into Jeffrey in a big soulmate way uh-huh. they became exclusive really quickly and she was pregnant within the year uh-huh. they were having free love and hippie
1: kisses and all that hippie <laughs> <other stuff. laughs> kisses well, you just did a dance so I don't they decide- understand what I have to <laughs> Go through. <laughs> People fully grasp what you are actually like.
0: After Margaret got pregnant, yeah. they decided to get married on Christmas Eve in 1957. But two weeks before the marriage, she mm-hmm. had a miscarriage. Oh. So, you know, that was pretty devastating. But they ended up getting married anyway. They uh-huh. were very much in love. yeah And then they bought a small house to fix up in Croydon Park, which is a suburb of Sydney. Mm. And there, They spent their time restoring the house, working on vintage cars, breeding dogs, and trying to start a family. So they're just this cool kind (sighs) of funky guys, Sounds pretty
1: good. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So time went by in their little Bohemian house, and eventually they had two little boys. But by 1962, Margaret wasn't doing so hot. Mm -hmm. After two miscarriages and two babies, Margaret seemed to be struggling.
1: Oh, so she did have two babies. She gave birth to well, two Well, I kids. just said,
0: he just had two little boys.
1: You're right, you did. Okay, <laughs> but then you said two miscarriages. Okay, so she's... Yeah, okay. she
0: after two miscarriages and uh, two babies, so four pregnancies, she was not doing really
1: Sorry, bad. I'm just still thinking about all the cool vintage cars he was fixing at the time. I can't quite get past that. Okay, okay, okay.
0: After the birth of their second son, about nine months prior, mm-hmm. Margaret stopped exercising she started being a little depressed she stopped taking care of herself which i think in the culture of the 50s and the Uh early 60s that's getting your hair pressed you know Uh matching your clothes to your shoes to your purse Uh i think that was a big thing she was really beautiful in this Uh fresh face natural way Uh you know but she wasn't unput together if she went to a party she'd be matching and everything you know right And basically she was trapped in this suburbia, this suburban life with two little kids. And on top of that, Jeffrey's adventures and free love were wearing thin from the Mm -hmm, beginning. mm -hmm. Jeffrey was really open about taking lovers, which was a really common practice in the push collective. Right. And it, It seemed like as Margaret withdrew from the marriage, Jeffrey became more cold and discontent himself. So, Margaret's friends at the time witnessed her crying around the house, and Jeffrey Mm. Chandler would basically react by being detached and ambivalent.
1: Well, that's sort of my understanding of how that free love hippie thing sort of panned out. The men were like, this is great. And the women were like, cool, now we have kids. And he's like, what? Free love. And she's like, kids.
0: Right. I mean, I think you you think about even just the idea that you're way out in the suburbs, you have two little kids and you're a stay-at-home mom. Yeah. You know, you don't have the same freedom as somebody who has a job and is meeting hookups at work and going out with colleagues after work and doing that kind of thing. Right,
1: screaming about communism. Right. Then having sex in the dirty bathroom of the bar (laughs) or whatever they're doing. Right. Yeah.
0: So I think that's how it, I don't think that she imagined that's how it would play out. And I think that they were consenting in terms of this free love thing. But I do think it sounds like the way it played out was that she was stuck in a way she hadn't imagined. Well, isn't that what ben.
1: Joni Mitchell's Blue is all about, that album? is like the disillusionment of the hippie movement for how it played out for ladies, or am I just inventing that? I
0: don't know. I mean, I know my mom's really into that. She <laughs> used to be a hippie. <laughs> I like that. I like that album too. (laughs) That's (laughs) That's That's, a good question. I just thought that's what it was about. Okay. We're going to start being focused on what I'm talking about. Okay.
1: (laughs) Yes. Okay. deal.
0: Okay. So like I said, Margaret's friends had seen Jeffrey be cold to Margaret. Margaret's doctor later said that, Although Margaret was physically healthy, she was markedly less attractive, which I guess is what doc- how doctors judged people. <laughs> she was not hot anymore. Right. A right. local dressmaker oh. remembered at the time that Margaret came to a dress fitting for a party, uh-huh. and she was wearing stained clothes, like yeah. stained and dirty clothes. So it just seemed like she was struggling to kind of keep. Keep it up, whatever. Right,
1: and maybe there's a detachment from reality. Yeah, or you
0: know, and and maybe some depression, something like that. But but all in all, they were just saying she seemed to have a little rough patch. Mm -hmm. And later, Jeffrey told Margaret's brother Tony that right before her death, he had told Margaret that she was becoming inadequate for him. He said, Mm -hmm. "This isn't the woman I married, and this isn't the relationship I want to be in." Right. On New Year's Eve. 1962, the same year, Margaret and Jeffrey Chandler walked into a party late and underdressed. So, Ken and Ruth Nash held their New Year's Eve party every year without fail. The Nash party was strictly invite only, usually around 20 people. Mm-hmm. And it was designed to create the perfect balance of diverse guests. So, he would invite musicians artists scientists surgeons etc right uh-huh. and this is how the party was so everyone who was attending was required to bring a piece of art that they had made themselves to show at the beginning of the party to kick off a night of intellectually stimulating conversations. Oh, that sounds
1: exhausting.
0: <laughs> Everyone had to wear a name tag. Yeah. And the party was largely alcohol free. <laughs> <laughs> so, a regular fixture at these parties uh-huh. was a man named Dr. Gilbert Stanley Bogle. The 39 year old was this rock star physicist working for the CSIRO on masers, right? No. So, I'm just going to quote from the book because uh-huh. I really can't explain what a maser is. Okay. <laughs> so this is just, I think it's will be easier for everyone. without <laughs> me be like trying to like figure out how to say it in layman's terms.
1: Yeah. It's a freaky sort of science. Thing.
0: Yeah. Right. So Bogle's field of research centered on a revolutionary microwave amplifier called the Ruby maser, which would have had a great impact on both communications and and radio astronomy, including the search for extraterrestrial life. Okay. All right. That's what he was up to. Yeah, he's trying to talk to aliens. Yeah, he said, what are you up to, man? And he said, mazers. (laughs) Okay. And Dr. Bogle was a Renaissance man, right? Uh He sang in a choir. He played several sports. He played the clarinets. He liked to sing and dance and paint. And he was actually all around a really well-liked Popular guy. I'm sure, he was. Yeah, he had a degree in philosophy from Oxford University. He was a Rhodes Scholar. He was just this pretty, you know, high achieving dude. Sure. Now, he had recently given notice at CSIRO. He had accepted a job with the world famous Bell Laboratories in the US. Mm-hmm. So he was getting ready to leave, but he had been working at the laboratories for a while in Sydney. Okay. Jeffrey Chandler was actually a casual colleague of Dr. Boyle's. They worked on different floors at the CSIRO, but they were friendly. Mm-hmm. They had recently attended a company Christmas party together with their wives. And afterwards, they had drinks together at the Bogle home. So they were kind of recent friends, but longtime colleagues. Sure. And as a consequence of that friendly drinking Now We're Friends night, Yeah. This adult party, Doctor Bogle secured an invite from Margaret and Jeffrey to the Nash New Year's Eve party.
1: Oh, so they this was their first time getting into this. Right. Uh-huh. So that's
0: how the Chandlers found themselves crashing a sedate formal dinner party <laughs> margaret in a simple white summer dress right printed with tiny roses yeah. and jeffrey legit in flip-flop sandals <laughs> and a short sleeve suit everyone else was wearing cocktail right. dresses and full ass suits And they right? show
1: up with their like popsicle sticks <laughs> houses They're like hey i made this art
0: right because remember it's i don't even think they brought art they were yeah. just like hey man <laughs> i remember it's summer right Uh-huh in australia during the uh, christmas season so
1: remember that it's summer oh sure you mean remember as in think about that for the first time in my whole life right
0: so if you're in the U.S. you're picturing uh-huh. these parties it's during the heat of like the middle of summer so when they're walking mm-hmm. into this New Year's Eve party they're right
1: like,
0: really are wearing Hawaiian <laughs> yeah. shirts and flip-flops right they're
1: sunburned <laughs> right. smell like <laughs> banana boat or whatever yeah.
0: and just on top of all that Ken Nash The host of the party had completely forgotten he invited the Chandlers. He Uh just did not remember he had invited them 10 days earlier. So he was really surprised by their 10 30 p.m. bohemian entrance. (laughs) 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 To get a real sense of the tone of the Nash party, I'm going to read you a quote. So this is how Ken Nash described Jeffrey Chandler that night at the party. All right. Quote. a tall man, well built and reminiscent of a buccaneer of Elizabeth the first times, with his dark, smouldering red beard and aquiline features. What? In an otherwise conservatively dressed assembly, he sported a casual short sleeve shirt, sandals and slacks. <laughs> so like when you're talking about like intellectual debate, it's yeah, like right. his aquiline features. <laughs> that's just what how he describes them. <laughs> so that's kind of the tone of the party right yikes unsurprisingly yeah jeffrey was not feeling the party and about an hour later after getting there he told margaret he was going to head out and buy some cigarettes Mm -hmm. around midnight ken nash the host noticed that jeffrey's distinctive vintage car was gone so he went looking to see if margaret had left as well So he walked around the party and walked into the backyard and found Margaret chatting with Dr. Bogle in the backyard. So watching through the kitchen window, he eventually just turned out the patio light in an attempt to get them to come back su- inside and rejoin the party. <laughs> oh,
1: this guy is the worst, man. I those, These parties where it's like these are the seven rules and and it's all meant to have fun.
0: I mean, I don't think he's the worst. I think everybody was into it. But I, I mean, they, he invited the people who wanted to be at that style of New Year's Eve party. It's only 20 people, but I just love the yeah, idea I guess that's true, of, right? of him being like, well, looks like I, I don't see... Uh, I don't see Mr. Chandler anywhere. Well, where's his wife? <laughs> She's in the backyard. Well, I want him to come. So- they should be inside talking. Why are they ha- why are they talking to turn off the light? <laughs> that is just so funny to me. Uh, so Jeffrey returned to the party. Yeah over three hours later at 3 a.m. So Jeffrey was just gone. He was gone. Getting cigarettes for about three and a half hours.
1: Yeah, having fun somewhere else.
0: Right. And then he walked into the door right when dinner was being served.
1: Damn, 3 a.m. dinner? They're not that conservative.
0: Yeah, I mean, they they were hanging out all that night. That sounds
1: like the Polish wedding we went to. I know. I think fun. people just
0: know how to have fun. Sometimes <laughs> sometimes I just feel like we don't know how to have
1: fun. Yeah, right.
0: Right, so 3 a.m., dinner served. He glides in, sits down in his flip-flops, but, uh, and right before that, he goes to the Nash bar and pours himself and Margaret drinks, mm-hmm. brings them over, which most people aren't drinking at this point. Right. At 4 a.m., Jeffrey left the Nash party without Margaret. Dr. Bogle left alone about five minutes later. And then Margaret was last seen at the party crossing the Nash's yard in the dark alone around the same time.
1: Crossing their yard? Mm-hmm. She's just walking away. Like out the back? Like into some? In the front. Oh, okay. So
0: basically, they had dinner. Uh-huh. It wound down pretty quickly. People started to leave around four. The yeah. first person to leave was Chandler, was yeah. Jeffrey Chandler. Second person to leave was Dr. Bogle. Yeah. And then. All they remember is the Nashes saw Margaret just walking across their front yard away from the house in the dark.
1: Got it. It's a creepy last image
0: in the early morning hours on New Year's day, nineteen sixty three. Two teenagers walk down a grassy trail along the Lane Cove River surrounded by mangroves and she oaks. She oaks are these cool flowering trees that look a little like pine trees mm-hmm. to the untrained eye. Mm-hmm. And they actually do shed needles. Mm-hmm. So picture a black, stagnant coastal river at low tide. So almost thick water, mm-hmm. really dark colored. Mm-hmm. The banks are lined with mud and a very thick blanket of needles from the she-oaks. And as the boys walked along the banks, they were under the shade of a tangle of mangroves and eucalyptus trees. So it's a very shady, cool area along this bank. Mm-hmm. And they walked down the river towards Fuller's Bridge, which is a small bridge just you know, a few yards ahead. This stretch of river was known for garbage dumping and people making out in cars. So Mm -hmm. that's generally what you'd see around
1: here. (laughs) High highs and low lows. High highs
0: and low lows, right? Uh And although it was the middle of the summer in New South Wales, it had been unseasonably cold. So the mist from the night before was still evaporating in the sun.
1: You're doing such a good job.
0: (laughs) Well, I wrote this, man. I know. I wrote it for you. You,
1: you freaking nail! You're nailing it. <laughs> I hate what's going to happen, obviously. All right. Keep going, please.
0: So the boys were walking on the path down the river on their way to the Chatswood golf links to collect golf balls. That's mm-hmm. what they decided they needed to do.
1: <laughs> Was that their job or they just wanted to steal some golf balls? I think
0: they just wanted to steal some golf balls. I've done that.
1: It's fun. <laughs> Big fan.
0: So on their way to the golf links... The boys stumbled on a man in a gray suit lying on the muddy bank of the Lane Cove River. A man? Yes. So glancing at the man's face, it had a slight bluish tint, uh-huh. but it really looked like if he was sleeping off a hangover. So the kids shrugged and they went on their way, right? But a couple hours later when they were returning to go back home with their stolen golf balls. The man was still in the same position, face down on the ground. His skin is now a darker purplish color and the kids decide, yikes, we should probably go for help.
1: Yeah, he's dead.
0: Police arrived just after 10 a.m. to find a baffling scene. The area stunk really drastically. There were pools of diarrhea and vomit all around. Oh the dead man lay face down, you know, in the mud and grass near the bank of the river. Now, while he looked fully clothed, investigators realized that the man was not actually wearing his gray suit. Instead, it had been meticulously folded and draped over him. Underneath the suit, when they lifted it up, the man was naked except for a white dress shoes or white dress shirt uh-huh. And muddy shoes and socks. So no pants, no underwear, white dress sh- shirt, yeah. muddy shoes and socks. Okay. The Last odd detail was between the shirt and the suit coat on the man's back was a soiled carpet square. And they soiled were with what? Just like an old dirty carpet okay. square. Okay. And there were no wounds anywhere on his body.
1: And he's definitely dead. He's dead. dead. He's dead, dead.
0: Nearby, a tan sedan was parked, with a clarinet and a crayon drawing in the back seat. Do you want to see the drawing?
1: Yeah. Oh, damn! That's a that's a good drawing. That must have been something that they took to the party to show off. Okay, right?
0: so describe what you see.
1: Well, the center f- the center thing is like a a woman's face straight on, but also has like a crazy profile, and it looks like she, she's kind of shouting. So Under, like a
0: Picasso kind of, right? Yeah,
1: it's sort of like the uh, dimensions are weird or whatever. There's sort of triangles involved. It's it's very it's it's skilled and it's cool. And then below it is a severed foot. Uh huh. So like above the ankle, you can see the leg coming up. So it's like sawed off halfway up the shin with bone sticking out, and that's below the face. And then above the woman's face is a the same thing, but with a hand. A severed hand. A severed hand. And then above the wrist, it's looks like it's been hacked off and you can see the bone coming out. But the hand is like, it's got a peaceful sort of chilling vibe to it. You know
0: what it reminds me of a little bit is
1: Man Ray. It, it, it looks like Man Ray. I mean, it also looks like, you know, what is it when David is the, the what's a famous uh, Sistine Chapel oh, thing yeah. when the two fingers touch? David's touch. I don't know. I don't know. The God, God thing, the you know, thing. the birth of humans or whatever. That's the finger. The hand kind of has that vibe of sort of like a peaceful, sort of like little reaching kind of chill, like vibe. And then on the bottom is a big fat, beautiful signature that I'm guessing says Bogle. Yeah. Right. Which would make sense. Cause there's a clarinet in the car. Yeah. So this fool was that his dead body. Yeah. That's the, that's the Renaissance man headed for America. Yeah. Now dead on a muddy riverbank, surrounded by diarrhea and vomit. Yeah. So what the, I like your
0: detective (laughs) skills. (laughs) Okay, let's go back to the story. (laughs) You're the best.
1: That was a crayon drawing. When you said crayon drawing, I thought I was like, oh no, it's going to be like some crappy stick figures and uh, you know some weird map. I don't know what I was expecting. I definitely wasn't expecting a pretty sick piece of art. He's a
0: renaissance man. He's like good at what he does. So as police search further down the riverbank trail for evidence, they found a really massive pile of flattened cardboard beer cases, which seemed a little odd. Mm -hmm. And then they find a human leg poking out from underneath.
1: Underneath what? The cardboard boxes?
0: Yeah. So under the pile of boxes was the body of Margaret Chandler. (sighs) So her her white sundress printed with roses was pulled down from the top and hiked up from the bottom, leaving her mostly exposed. And Mm. next to her were a pair of men's underwear covered in diarrhea.
1: Oh, my God.
0: There were also no marks of violence anywhere on her body. And strangely enough, while Dr. Bogle still had his wallet on him,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Margaret was missing her purse. She had no... Somebody had taken the purse. Yeah. It's gone. Yeah. A group of investigators remained to process the scene. And as they stayed and time ticked by, the smell of the scene intensified as the day warmed up. So at one point becoming almost completely unbearable where people had to kind of keep coming back and forth. Because of
1: cooking poop.
0: Meanwhile, a small group of officers went to contact the families of the deceased. Mm. So Vivian Bogle had been up since 5 a.m. after she realized her husband hadn't returned home after the Nash party. At her beautiful suburban home in Turamura, surrounded by her four children, Mm -hmm. police told tearful Vivian that her husband was found dead at the Lane Cove River. What a nightmare. Jeffrey Chandler, however, had a very different reaction. Mm. When police knocked on his door around 1 p.m., He answered, hungover, groggily carrying his infant son. Investigators asked him point blank, do you know where your wife is? Yeah. And he pretty much just flatly looked at them and said, I have no idea. Yeah. I don't know where she is, which they found to be. Very, very odd. Not, uh-huh. I'm worried about her. Not, right. I've been calling the police. Right. Not, she's with her friend. But, like, I have no idea. Right. We
1: got into a big fight last night and separated ways at this party. Nothing.
0: Right. Kind of stonewalled them. Uh huh. So, the police took Jeffrey and the two children into custody. They took them up to the station. Mm-hmm. After separating Jeffrey from his children, police interrogated him. And this is Jeffrey Chandler's story. All right. Jeffrey said he left the Nash party around 1130 at night and headed to a different party. The Balmain New Year's party. It was an annual rager thrown by prominent push member Ken Buckley, who is an economist and professor at Sydney University. Mm -hmm. So this guy had, this reminds me of the dreams that you have. He has this massive rambling house with Mm -hmm. all of these different rooms leading to other rooms and then a huge garden with little enclaves everywhere and Christmas, like, you know, little lights strung up.
1: Yeah. Right. No, that is a reoccurring theme in my dreams. Yeah.
0: So there are tons of people from the push movement Uh in this house moving from room to room. So it's a little hard to say, oh, I saw Jeffrey Chandler there that night. Right. It's dark. You know, people are drinking, they're having a crazy big party, and they're slipping into rooms... Being radical and chasing tail, right? Like hooking up with <laughs> yeah. these different... Bo- like
1: <laughs> Boning one second and then, you know, talking about the proletariat the next. Right, exactly. Yeah, that is like my dreams, actually.
0: I know. <laughs> <That's what laughs> I know, it, I know. That's like, yeah. I know. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. at the Balmain New Year's party, he met a 21-year-old blonde woman named Pamela Logan, who is the secretary for the psychology department at Sydney University. Mm-hmm. They hook up. And Jeffrey and Pamela drive back to Pamela's bed It's about 30 minutes away. So that's basically a rented room.
1: A bed sit. Mm -hmm.
0: So it's kind of an
1: Australian term must be.
0: I I think they use it in the UK too. It's just like an old fashioned way of saying a rented room as opposed to, you know, an Uh full apartment.
1: Uh An Airbnb. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever. Okay. Okay. So they go back.
0: So they go back. They have sex. And then Jeffrey takes, out from, takes off from her bed set around 2.30 in the morning, mm-hmm. getting back to his wife at the Nash party at 3 a.m., right as dinner is being served. Jeffrey says around 4 a.m. he was getting ready to go, but Margaret wasn't making any moves to follow him. Mm-hmm. So he's gathering up his stuff, I don't know, putting on his flip-flops, looking over, and she's acting like she's not
1: going to leave. Right, she's chilling.
0: So he told police, he realized... Margaret probably wanted to stay and have sex with Dr. Bogle. Mm -hmm. So he decided to leave to pick up his kids solo and just let them go at it, right? Sure.
1: free love. It's not, we don't handcuff around here. Go for it.
0: According to Jeffrey, Margaret had actually taken a lover in the past and he always encouraged it. He believed in free love all the way and was always happy when Margaret jumped on board. So as far as I can tell... Mm Jeffrey had lots of sex and free love. And Margaret is on record as maybe doing that once or twice. And they were all kind of arranged by Jeffrey Mm -hmm, in the sense that Margaret said, I think that guy is cute. Right. And then he went to the colleague and said, Hey, if you want to hook up with my wife, that's fine.
1: Yeah. And please do. So I can feel better about sleeping with everyone. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Maybe. I don't know. That can be your judgment. Yeah. Now, according to Jeffrey, this whole thing started at that company Christmas party. They attended 10 days earlier. Mm -hmm, Margaret mm -hmm. met Dr. Bogle and his wife Vivian at this party And afterwards, Jeffrey said, oh, you know, Margaret couldn't stop talking about him. Right. She was thinking he's really handsome. She's into him, you know, really kind of laying it on. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's a big reason why they went to this boring party. Okay, cool. (laughs) So Jeffrey said he went and talked to Dr. Bogle and he just tells Bogle, hey, man, tell Margaret not to worry. I'll pick up the kids from her parents. And then he left the party. He got in his car, and he decided he was going to wait. He said, I left her without really communicating anything to her. I just got vibes, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, like, you know, I'm, like, really connected to vibes. <laughs> but I think I probably should wait. So he said he Yeah,
1: told, maybe a word or two might help the situation. Right.
0: So he said he told Bogle, don't worry, don't worry. But he said, I'm just going to hang out. So he mm-hmm. sat outside in his car and smoked a cigarette and just waited for her to come out to see if she would- So he finished the cigarette, and when she didn't come out, he took off for Pamela's house again. He went back to Pamela Logan's bed
1: sit. And and not to go pick up the kids.
0: Well, he arrives at the bed sit Uh at 4.30 in the morning. He wakes Pamela up, and somehow he convinces Pamela to get dressed, come downstairs, and just go with him to the in-law's house. He doesn't want to make the drive alone. So... She begrudgingly gets up and pops in the car.
1: Damn, this guy has game. (laughs) Around (laughs) this guy hooked up with this girl, and then hours later is like, hey, get dressed and come with me to pick up my kids. Yeah.
0: And so they drive to the in-laws' house about 30 minutes away. Uh Right. And during that drive, he tells Pamela all about Dr. Bogle and his wife and what they're doing and why, you know, he asked her to come with him. Okay. Around 5 a.m., he drops Pamela off on the side of the road while he runs up to his in-law's house to grab his kids. So then he... (laughs) Because he doesn't want the in-laws to see Pamela. (laughs) So then he grabs his nine-month-old and two-year-old son. so young. Loads them into the car. Babies. And then, you know, goes around the corner, picks up Pamela. Yeah. And they start taking off again. But as they drive, they run out of gas. So they're stuck on the side of the road, but eventually a car full of strangers in the spirit of new year's eve right pull over help them out get them some gas and they go on their way okay jeffrey decides to drive pamela and the kids back to pamela's bedsit so they land at pamela's bedsit around 6 a.m and then jeffrey slept at pamela's with the kids leaving at 10 a.m to return back to his home in croydon park once he gets to Croydon Park, puts the kids to bed, and he decides to sleep it off for the rest of the afternoon. And that's when the cops knock on his door around 1 p.m.
1: <laughs> so police, so that's his story. Hey, just just in case anyone who's listening to this podcast thinks, you know, maybe... Nick and Muriel can babysit our kids on New Year's Eve. The answer might be yes, but if it is, don't come pick them up at 5 a.m. <laughs> Who does any of this? What, this? None of this time frame computes on any level. <laughs>
0: well, this is what he said happened, right? And police actually tracked down Pamela Logan and interviewed her. Mm-hmm. And without any corroboration at all on the same day, New Year's Day. Yeah. She corroborates the entire timeline of Jeffrey's alibi. She says this is exactly, she says this yeah. is when he was here, you know, he was so annoying. He came back to my house and made me get in the car. <laughs> yeah. I was like, "Why are you here?" you know. Right. So she says the whole <laughs> thing.
1: Then he dropped me off. Right. <laughs> then he picked me up again, then we ran out of gas. What a shit night. <laughs> <laughs> I always hate going
0: out on New Year's. (laughs) So police ended up grilling Jeffrey Chandler till 2 a.m., but Mm -hmm. they didn't find anything connecting him to the murder scene. Mm -hmm. Throughout the interview, Jeffrey Chandler insisted he and Margaret had a great and loving marriage.
1: But have they said, oh, by the way, she's been murdered or she's dead on the side of this river. Like he knows that she's dead at this point.
0: They're really mean to him. Uh-huh. So yes, they tell him by like throwing a newspaper down with a headline and saying she's dead.
1: Oh my God. How does he react?
0: Cold as ice. Mm. He doesn't react to anything. Mm. So they're really treating him as if he's the number one suspect right off the bat. Yeah. And he won't react to anything they say. Uh-huh. When he showed, they showed him the newspaper. He just lit a cigarette, and smoked a cigarette. <sighs> Chief toxicologist Vivian Mahoney was at a complete loss. Mm -hmm. Nothing in the tox screenings were coming up positive. So they were screening for any type of drug or poison, all this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. The only thing he knew for certain was that both Dr. Bogle and Margaret died of the same thing and that it was either because they stopped breathing when their heart stopped
1: Mm -hmm. or
0: that their heart stopped when they stopped breathing. They just you yeah. just didn't know. It was just like they died, right? No, was, the bodies uh-huh. had no marks. Right, there were no needle marks, no puncture marks. Mm-hmm. They went over the entire body to see if they could find anything. Uh huh. And as far as Vivian Mahoney could tell, the only thing logically that could have happened is that they were poisoned somehow.
1: Mm-hmm. What about sex? I mean, sh- you said like her dress was all like ripped off kind of or like pulled up and pulled down and then he was sort of naked
0: yeah there was semen on the inside of his pants Mm -hmm. and on the inside of his underwear Mm -hmm. but they had not had sex to completion
1: (laughs) he might have he might have came a little early perhaps and we don't know we don't know. and she she uh and her body looks like she wasn't Abuser. No,
0: so there was no no violence whatsoever on the yeah. body. Yeah, yeah. So based on this, the police went with poisoning as their lead theory. They were dealing with a bunch of wily scientists, right, with working mm. knowledge, working knowledge, and access to poison, right, right, right. So it seemed like it fit, right. And at this point, the primary suspect was Jeffrey Chandler, but. His alibi was seemingly airtight. So their only alternatives were that either Margaret or Dr. Bogle had committed a murder-suicide with poison or that there was some sort of mad poisoner on the loose in New South Wales. Yeah. The murder-suicide thing fit slightly with Margaret's bout of depression. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, when she met Dr. Bogle, she seemed to really light up. People Mm -hmm. were saying around that Christmas season she seemed to kind of rebound and she seemed a lot happier.
1: Oh, so other people's stories sort of matched with what the husband was saying.
0: Right. Mm -hmm. She seemed depressed, but then she seemed
1: better, better, Mm -hmm. basically,
0: between Christmas and New Year's. Mm -hmm. In terms of Dr. Bogle, it's... You know, he had just taken this job at Bell Laboratories that was really a big deal. And it seemed like his life was just going gangbusters, right? So it it didn't really fit the murder-suicide thing, but that was a theory. Right After the deaths of Margaret and Dr. Bogle, Jeffrey Chandler went into hiding. He grabbed his kids, he dropped them back off at Margaret's parents' house... And then he couch surfed around every few days, switching houses between friends and members of the push collective. He would ride to work lying flat in the back seat of a friend's car to avoid reporters. Like basically, Oh,
1: okay. So he's hiding from the press. Yeah,
0: he's hiding from the press. He doesn't want to talk to the press. He's climbing up.
1: Hmm. I mean, I can appreciate that.
0: But he didn't escape paparazzi completely. Mm-hmm. And one day, a few months after the deaths... Jeffrey was photographed in a restaurant with Pamela Logan, mm-hmm. the woman he had supposedly just met on New Year's Eve at the Balmain party. Turns out he had lied to police about how long he'd been seeing Pam Logan. Mm-hmm. They had been seeing each other for close to a year. And not only that, police found that seven months prior to the death of his wife, Jeffrey took Pamela Logan to a hospital. They were on record at a local hospital for an appointment that confirmed a pregnancy. Mm. Pam Logan and Jeffrey Chandler refused to say what had happened to the baby, but the hospital record definitely weakened Jeffrey Chandler's defense in the eyes of police. Unfortunately, though, this revelation didn't lead to any new information. Yeah, And, in fact... Jeffrey drove such a distinctive vintage car that three separate witnesses all had recently come forward to confirm they saw his car at the exact times and places Chandler claimed to be on the night of his wife's death.
1: What kind of car
0: is this? I don't know. I don't know cars. I just...
1: Do you got a picture for me? You want to show me a crayon drawing, but you're not going to show me a sick vintage car that everyone can point out as cool? The crayon cool? drawing
0: is so much more interesting
1: than the car. <laughs> I want to see the car.
0: No, you. I showed you a crayon drawing of a woman with severed hands and legs <laughs> and two faces. <laughs> Just focus on that. <laughs> Without any real leads, you know, everyone was kind of going wild, right? Uh-huh, so yeah. the investigation is seemingly stalling out. And people are looking for answers. The tabloids yeah. in New South Wales and across Australia were really off a good one, right? Uh-huh. They started reporting, they reported lots of things. I'm not going to say everything they reported, yeah. but one of the main stories was that they reported that masers are like lasers, spoiler alert, they're not, Yeah, and that Bogle had committed a murder-suicide with Margaret Chandler via Australian death ray, <laughs> <laughs> Just really did not happen.
1: (laughs) I think there's still conspiracy theories going on about lasers and shit to this day, right? People love that.
0: It's just like people are wilding out.
1: Well, was there any talk of them having actually made contact with aliens? No. Like any aliens? Conspiracy theorists. Okay. Man. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh, who's a conspiracy theorist now. <laughs>
0: uh, but that's basically all that was going on. People were making crazy shit up. Uh-huh. Nineteen days into the investigation, police police did report a breakthrough in the case. Uh-huh. The square of carpet found on Doctor Bogle's back was traced back to Doctor Bogle's trunk. So it was his own carpet square. Huh. But you know, other than that, nothing new was coming up. And now I know I set the carpet square thing up to sound dumb Uh but actually the carpet square has a little significance around this time in the investigation women started to come forward about how freaky dr bogle Uh r.i.p liked to do it in the woods on top of a carpet square okay so that mystery was a little bit softened right Uh Uh he was a known as a ladies man so here's an example this is just a brief example of one of the witnesses who talked about dr bogle and his Uh ladies about seven months before his death dr bogle asked a woman out on a coffee date they were hanging out in a park when a different woman drove by saw him slammed on her brakes jumped out of the car and ran up screaming and sobbing about how he had left her so not only Mm -hmm. had not only was bogle married with four kids
1: yeah. and
0: on a date with another woman, yeah. he was also allegedly messing around on the screaming woman, right?
1: Oh, so that wasn't even his wife. No,
0: it's a different third woman. Uh, that was his friend with benefits, a woman named Margaret Fowler, who we'll talk about later.
1: Okay. All but right. The screaming
0: woman comes back into play. Uh,
1: there's always a screaming woman running around.
0: <laughs> okay. So basically... This is what we know so far. Mm -hmm. We know that Jeffrey Chandler claims that he fully agreed for his wife to have consensual sex with Dr. Bogle. We know that Dr. Bogle had a reputation for getting freaky outside on top of a carpet square. Mm -hmm. One of the few forensic clues that the police were able to gather was that neither Margaret nor Dr. Bogle had their clothes forcibly removed mm-hmm. there were no marks or tears to indicate that getting naked was not consensual okay uh-huh so they had taken them right. off
1: how far were the bodies apart
0: a, a, a little bit i mean uh-huh. it's meters i think it was a, like i don't know okay 30 so, meters so that's
1: mm-hmm. some australian distance apart <laughs> <Stop>. <laughs> <laughs> meters i don't know okay okay some distance, uh-huh. Uh-huh. A, a distance apart for okay sure. far enough where the boys didn't even see her or the big pile of boxes they They just just saw saw him yeah Yeah. i
0: think there was maybe not 30 meters i can't remember but it was definitely they were far enough apart that you wouldn't connect them together and police took a while to find her now here's the deal Mm -hmm. while police were confident that dr bogle took his clothes off voluntarily his pants and his suit coat it would have been physically impossible for him to cover himself with the clothing the way it was found with it being folded and draped over him in this particular way. Mm -hmm. There's no way he could have covered himself. Mm -hmm. In terms of Margaret Chandler, police believed she voluntarily pulled down the top of her dress and pulled up the bottom of her dress, but presumably because of the state she was found in, in that exact same position, she was probably at some point unable to pull her dress back up again. So someone else had probably covered her with the cardboard boxes Mm post-mortem. So who was it? Right? Who's the third person? Yeah. Early on in the investigation, about four days after the deaths, a one-armed carpenter named Raymond Chalice walked into the Chatswood police station with his sleeve tucked into his trouser pocket in an attempt to hide his missing arm.
1: Okay, it sounds like that wasn't a successful attempt. It
0: was not. It was very strange. It was like a like yeah. this whole interaction was very strange okay. for the police. All right. So detectives were already a little skeeved out by this man. He had actually called two times previously. The first time he called under a fake name on New Year's Day to report that he had seen two people matching the descriptions of Bogle and Margaret drive up to the river around 4.30 a.m. that day. He said, Mm -hmm. I saw them drive up. But he hung up really quick after he said it, didn't give them any other information, and hung up too quickly for them to trace the call.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: About four days later after that, the man called back again under his real name this time to say not only had he seen Bogle and Chandler, he had also seen a man lurking in the bushes nearby. So police keep him on the phone this time and they talk him into coming down to the station to make a full report. Mm -hmm. So Raymond Chalice comes down and he repeats to police, yes, I saw the couple pull up to Fuller's Bridge on the riverside and park. And then when police asked him why he was at the riverbank himself, Chalice responded that he was collecting shrubs for his garden at 4 a.m. <laughs> Where what? everyone
1: dr- dumps all the garbage. Yeah. All right.
0: So obviously police did not buy that one at all. Uh-huh. And they start grilling him. Why were you at the river? Why were you at the river? And eventually Chalice is like, okay, okay. I go down the river to creep on people and watch them have sex in cars. That's just my thing. I do it really often.
1: Okay. Sure. That's, that's so much more understandable than (laughs) collecting shrubs. Well, isn't this a big muddy thing with all these pine needles falling on the ground? Are there footprints everywhere? Also,
0: there's like, there's an upper track and a lower track. It's like, there's a river Uh and then they call it a bush track, which is the track that goes through the bushes. And that's where the bodies were found. Mm -hmm. And then the upper track is more by the roadside. Mm -hmm. And so depending on where you're walking, you may not actually be able to see the bank. Yeah. Right. But there is a trail that walks through. That's where the boys, when they found the bodies, like we're walking down the trail, the trail opens up and then you can see the bank. And then they saw the body along the bank.
1: Well, I would just say, given the park that you grew up next to, where people used to have sex in the woods all the time, I feel like if you're going to a place where there's going to be, where you're just like, oh, this is where people go to have sex outside publicly, uh-huh. part of the knowledge is that everyone knows that and there's going to be someone watching.
0: I think so. It's not like, I mean, it's a weird thing, but I'm like, yeah, that happens all the time. Yeah, <laughs> that
1: seems completely normal. And
0: Bogle was like super into doing it outside. Yeah, so right. He knew. He knew, he, you knew know. he was
1: being watched.
0: Anyway, Raymond Chalice said he was walking along trying to see what was up, right, yeah. with anybody having sex by the river, and he sees Dr. Bogle drive up in the car, and they make eye contact. And You know, Raymond Chalice is like, okay, they're on to me. And Mm -hmm. Bogle looks at him. He starts to say something. And then he just kind of drives a little further off and parks by the bridge. Okay. So now Raymond Chalice's cover is a little blown, Mm -hmm. right? He doesn't think he can really creep on them too hard. Right. So he decides to take off. And he says he never saw the couple again. Dead or alive after that. And he said, and by the way, I am not the person who covered the bodies. Because at this point, they're asking, did you cover the cardboard? Did you do anything? He said, I I didn't do that. But Chalice says while he was walking down by the river, walking along the path back to his car, a very pretty man with long blonde hair jumped out of the bushes at him
1: and Mm -hmm. scared him. Mm
0: -hmm. He said they stared at each other for a minute, and then the man just walked away. <laughs> okay. So obviously Raymond chalice was red flag city, right? Uh-huh. He lied about gathering shrubs. He seemed <laughs> to be trying to hide his arm for some reason. Yeah. He's admitting to, you know, habitually creeping on people down by the river. Yeah. And also, this is a small detail but long hair was just really uncommon on men in New South Wales at the time. Mm-hmm. So the description of this Bushman jumping out really seemed odd and off. It just wasn't... People just weren't wearing their hair like that. Okay. Ultimately, investigators decided there was no way Raymond Chalice could have folded and draped Dr. Bogle's suit with one arm. And they kind of dismissed the rest of the story as a fabrication.
1: Man, I'm going to call BS, man. I have some one arm friends and they can fold and drape some clothes. That's- I think
0: there's a lot of like... It seemed like a very quick dismissal to me. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean,
1: especially for that reason. Yeah,
0: right. Anyway, they move on. Three weeks later, they still don't have anything. So police put out a call to the public looking for anyone who might have seen a different car down by the river on the morning of New Year's Day. hmm A local who lived by the river called into police to say they saw a green and white Ford sedan parked near the bridge in the early morning hours on New Year's Day. Says I saw this car. It stood out to me. It was right there. When police released a description of the vehicle to the public, another man reluctantly came forward. Now, Edwin Harold Batiste was a butcher from nearby Hunter's Hill who trained greyhounds. And he would take his dogs in the early morning to run around the Chatswood golf links where the boys Mm -hmm. were collecting balls. So Batiste said he got there a little bit after 4.30 in the morning and he saw Dr. Bogle's car. But the car was empty and he didn't see anyone nearby. He said he ran his dogs on the links and then went home and that was that. Police were suspicious that, according to Batiste, the dogs didn't pick up any scent or react to the bodies lying near Mm -hmm. the bridge. They thought that was very odd because they were very close to each other. Yeah. But at the end of the day, that speculation Mm -hmm. and Batiste's statement really didn't add any extra information except to corroborate the timeline of the deaths with chalice and other people right
1: is it just a coincidence that he is a dog breeder and they also bred dogs yeah just a
0: coincidence so it seemed like there wasn't much information to go off of so they didn't look into batiste any further Mm -hmm. by the end of april 1963 four months after the deaths the investigation was completely cold It would be decades of conspiracy theories and dead ends before author Peter Butt would develop a controversial theory that Mm -hmm. I will talk about next week. All
1: right. So (laughs) we got a two-parter on our hands, do we? (laughs) Is the is part two freaky also, Muriel? <laughs> Why are, you are we so gonna get mad? freaky next week? It's because you're stressed. That's <laughs> <bad>. <laughs> uh, I do act out when I'm, uh, you, you know, being pushed to the brink of my wits end. Whatever, you know how the word goes. Okay, so that's it. Okay, so we're done. So some author comes along and he's like, "What a speculative crime writer or something." The
0: author. Of Dr. Bogle and Mrs. Chandler, The Confession, Peter Butt,
1: uh-huh.
0: is a badass dude. Yeah. He's a crazy investigative journalist, uh-huh. and he's a really amazing crime writer, and we will talk about that later, but it's pretty, pretty crazy what he contributed to this story
1: well that's cool because i mean that's like what the serial podcasts and all these like fancy cr- true crime podcasts do right they kind of like dig up cold cases and it's their investigating that sort of cracks the case or yeah whatever. so
0: this is me <laughs> reading a book of somebody
1: else <laughs> who did that but it's a great
0: story and yeah, yeah. he comes up with something i don't think that you will literally ever see coming
1: now I want to guess, but I think maybe we should just end the episode. (laughs) You want to guess? (laughs) Uh, Okay, what do I guess? What I'll never see coming that the uh, kids did it. Okay. The the two-year-old kids did it. That um, when homie poured the drinks for himself and his wife, Mm -hmm. he actually gave it to him and the other guy and it killed them a couple hours later. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. That Nash, the art party guy um, did it that um, uh, the one our man is ends up killing someone else down the line and then that's what the fugitive is based on okay um, done. <laughs> okay <laughs> love goes out to our newest five star reviews on Apple podcast we got M Reeves 830 Izzy from to say oh solo Mio and Hannah of Marble Hornets we read those reviews and you all brought us a lot of joy to our hearts thank so you so
0: much thank, thank you, you.
1: <laughs> and thank you to everyone for listening to, to Muriel's murders Muriel did all the research and I did all the editing and post-production and this podcast was recorded in our living room to
0: help support the podcast to unlock exclusive episodes Please sign up for our Patreon at www.patreon.com slash Muriel's Murders. This week we'll be releasing an episode mm-hmm. with uh, some requests from our Patreons. Uh-huh. And...
1: I don't even know this.
0: I know. What? And also um, one of our Patreon members gave me some really cool research that I'm going to share with you.
1: Y'all. Ooh, nice. Okay, it's so it's cracking cool. on Patreon. Hey. Uh, it's also cracking on our social media. Find us at Muriel's Murders on Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and TikTok. Our DMs are open. You can email us at Murielsmurders at gmail.com. We love hearing from you.
0: Please rate and review Muriel's Murders on Apple Podcasts. It really does help us grow. And if you're listening on Spotify, you can add this episode to a playlist of podcasts you think your friends would you should tune into. Or just share it, you know?
1: Yeah, man. It's a great way to help us out. Our music is by Mario Casolini. Find him on Instagram at Casalini Beats. Thank
0: you to Ryan and Ryan at Campfire Media.
1: And if you want to hear Nick and Muriel, just be hilarious. Check out our... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Check out our non-murder podcast. It's a comedy podcast. It's called Hell in Your 30s, wherever you get your podcast.
0: All right, that's it.
1: Bye. See you next week with part two. Screw it, screw just talk T- about- comics. Do you like comic books? Do you like brothers? Do you like brothers talking about comic books? Then this is the podcast for you. Screw it. We're just going to talk about comics.
0: Will Hines and Kevin Hines, performers from the Upright Citizen Brigade Theater and actual brothers talk about actual comic books they love, like Spider-Man, The Fantastic Four,
1: and many more. If you prefer your podcast to be about fictional people talking about fictional books, this isn't it. But otherwise... Screw it. We're just going to talk about comics from Campfire Media. Mm
0: -hmm. Campfire.